0: Welcome to Illumine, a space for considered thought, enlightening conversation and perhaps even some friendly debate about all things related to girls' education in Australia. I'm Jacinda Isler, Principal of Brisbane Girls Grammar School and more importantly today, your host. We're discussing hope, its power and its place in the education of secondary school students. Today I'm speaking with Dr Bruce Addison, our Deputy Principal Academic, about how to be a hopeful educator. Bruce, you recently published an article on the school's website where you talk about a beautiful concept as schools being homes for the mind. And if our listeners haven't yet read that piece, I encourage you to read it first before you listen to our conversation, because we'll be exploring some of the themes and the research uh, that you discuss in that article today. As I touched on at the start of our time together, perhaps one of the most confronting issues, of course, of 2020 is that almost everything is viewed through a lens of crisis. Everything's so emotive and value-laden. And the question I have for you to begin is, how do we teach our students to notice and respond with a certain criticality? How do educators role model noticing and the interrogation of issues in the face of technology and algorithms that, well, quite frankly, persuade us to be uncritical consumers?
1: Well, Jacinda, that's a huge question, isn't (laughs) it? A huge question. I think what we have to do with our young people is, first of all, let them understand that it's okay not to know and that they can explore knowledge and that it's free to find things out and that there's time and there's space. I think too, I wonder if they're a little bit smarter than what we think sometimes in being able to decipher the rubbish from what is true. Uh, But on the other hand, sometimes they're bombarded with so much false news and false facts that that's very, very hard. The whole idea, I think, about just giving them giving them time to think, showing them how to think, not what to think, but to show that there's a lot of joy and a lot of courage in thinking and in interrogating facts, that it becomes part of their nature and part of their classroom experience.
0: Mm. It's uh, uh, an enormous undertaking for a school to take on a certain responsibility in that, and um, certainly as you're talking about the role of schools in um, educating young people. You you see it as um, helping, I guess, to provide a gift to the collective, to society at large, and as educators we're always thinking about these big philosophical questions. Um, But it's interesting to me, a a week or so ago I was speaking to one of our Year 11 students and I asked her about how she felt about the future and, and did she feel hopeful with all the challenges being presented, and she was incredibly optimistic because she saw it is a wonderful opportunity to be part of the solution, to be um, uh, co-creators in our society. But how do you hope our young people will help to create positive change in their communities?
1: Well, firstly, I hope that they will be vocal and they they will have the courage to actually speak out and that they won't be silent. And when they see things that, that aren't right or actually question their concept of right and wrong, that they're there and that they're on the money. I think what's been happening in recent times is that people have been too scared perhaps to actually speak out and to have a voice. Mm. And if we can provide them with a voice as well as the voice that they're learning at home so we're not here to indoctrinate or to tell them what to think but if they can have the courage to think and the courage to participate and to reinvent the concept of what goodness is then I think as educators, we've succeeded.
0: Fantastic! You can't see me nodding, listeners, but I'm nodding <laughs> quite um, quite firmly. Uh, there's also in this article you've written a, a really beautiful quote. I think from Vygotsky, you talk. It, it says that children grow into the intellectual life of those around them. So, of course, we understand, obviously, children grow into the values of their families, sometimes the expectations of a society, and certainly we understand the influence of their peers. That's a really powerful concept: children yeah. growing into the intellectual life of, um, of those around them. How do you see that playing out in schools?
1: Well, how it plays out here is that uh, we very much embrace the concept of deep, deep learning, and we always have. Um, we want uh, the girls to actually interrogate what, what they learn and hopefully the staff have a way of role modeling that in class with the way they teach, the way that they ask the girls to learn and the way they ask them to assess. And if there is rigour that is reasonable and it's interesting and it's deep and it's relevant, then students will embrace it. And often what happens, I learnt this very early on um, when I started teaching, if you set them goals that stretch them, they always met them. Some wouldn't, but a lot would. And over time, the collective in actually imp- improves and I think that's important. So they grow into that intellectual culture and that's a wonderful gift and we shouldn't be afraid of it.
0: Absolutely. So I'm going to bring us back down to earth now. So we mm. started mm. off at a really high mm. level, uh, philosophical uh, point, but let's get down to the realities of the new system mm. of assessment in Queensland. Mm. Uh, our current year stu- year 12 students yep. will be the first to yep. receive ATAR schools yep. as part of this new system. Yep. Um, the tin tax, the details, the specifics mm-hmm. are incredibly important. Mm-hmm. It certainly a new experience yep. for Queensland students, but they've never known mm-hmm. anything else. Um, it's probably a greater challenge for our teachers. Mm-hmm. How do you see this focus um, in Queensland on external examination perhaps changing the way that
1: students learn? Interesting, because we've just gone through 30 years of one, one way of doing it. Uh, now we're bringing in subject-specific external exams for the first time since 1972. What it's going to do is it's going to take away the role of the, the current role of the teachers being judge, jury, executioner to being more on the same level as the student because the staff won't be setting and preparing the tests. So, what that means is, I think that the girls or the students in Queensland will probably have to develop more independent learning, more independent thinking and have the ability at a certain level to uh, extemporise if they see a question that may not be what they thought would be set. And that's a different type of skill set. It's the skill set that we had going through because uh, when we went through school, external exams had just finished. And there probably hadn't been a culture probably whereby teachers would park the students pretty closely outside the front door of the test. They won't be parked outside the front door of the test anymore. It'll be set by external people. So therefore, what they'll have to do is, I said, have the courage to extemporise if they see something that they weren't 100% prepared for, but also, too, having to remember material for much longer. So at the moment, we've had a system of uh, teach, assess, forget. Now we have to have a system of uh, teach, remember, assess. And that's one of the biggest differences. So we'll be teaching the girls you know, going back to some old things about pricing material, um, rote learning things, going back to some of those old skill sets. So that the, the thinking skills really, really important, but some of those old skills have come back, mm-hmm. and that's some of the biggest changes.
0: So, Bruce, continuing uh, with this topic of ATAR scores, we all understand that we're living in a society that I would say is increasingly obsessed about metrics and measuring things. Um, But, of course, in your article you talk about how, in the face of the mounting pressures of standardised assessments... Here at Girls Grammar we have, to quote you, enriched our curriculum by blending the skills and cognitions of standardised tests into our general approach, of course, to teaching and learning. It might be nice to have you explain how teachers are actually doing this in the classroom.
1: I think what's happened in particular with NAPLAN over the last few years is that the way, because NAPLAN is used in a certain way and schools are ranked in, in, in the press, some schools have gone about collapsing their teaching and learning in year 7 and 9 to focus intensively on those skills and i can understand that what we've done here is to look at some of the skills in that naplan test and what we've learnt each year and built those skills into the curriculum the girls would have learnt had NAP, naplan not 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 been there Now, we have done that on purpose. It's seamless. The girls aren't told it's about NAPLAN. And I think that's worked really well because those skills have been blended into their learning. They're seeing it as part of their normal learning, and it's normal. We could, if we wanted to say, well, let's shut down year seven and let's shut down year nine and see if our results improve. It may be that they go backwards. You don't know. But... We've had the confidence, and this is one of the big things about this school, to actually be a little bit, little bit counter-cultural to what you might expect. And it's really hard in education because you can't do controlled experiments. So when you do this, you take a huge risk. But you've got to have confidence in your ability, confidence in your students, and confidence in your staff that you can do it. So That's one of the things that I think, OK, we can respond in a certain way. Let's stop, draw a breath and see how we can focus and retune what we do, not staying the same, but actually moving forward, but not in total response to some sort of external criteria.
0: Absolutely. And and confidence is an important thing. And Mm. we've always maintained that it isn't either or. Of course, Mm. you develop the basic skills of literacy and numeracy, but it always has to be contextual Mm. and Mm. you don't lose sight of uh, the bigger purpose of of education. So if we move on now to the topic, really, of today's conversation, we're talking about hope. Do you think it's important for educators to be hopeful about the future? Because, of course, you'd be forgiven, I would say, sometimes um, for thinking that you might actually be accused of being irresponsible these days if you do express a sense of optimism and hope and, dare I say, even excitement about the future. Mm. So so why don't we start with that? And and what do you see as the role of hope for leaders within an educational organisation?
1: I came across a wonderful book in 2004 called Leading Learning and it's written by Bob Lingard from UQ and his um, staff out there. And he came up with this whole idea about education's all about hope, when despair should actually be what's there. Um, Hope's a difficult word. To me, hope's always been a positive, optimistic word. Hope is something that you can believe in, even though it's difficult to actually believe in it. Um, others see hope as a different word. They see hope as, a, as an escapist sort of word saying, well, don't hope, just just do. I still think hope's really important, especially in, in teaching, because, and, and teaching and learning in schools, because you're dealing with young people, young people who are optimistic, young people who are yet hopefully not to experience life's harshness. And when you walk around a school, and you walk around and you see all the smiles and you see all the young people and you see all the energy, you can't help but think of hope because you think these are the people who are going to lead into the future. So therefore, education is always about hope and hope's a positive word. Hope is how you can invest in the future, hopefully to make things better. And we've got to be very, very careful about making certain we don't leech hope out of schools. We're very lucky here because it's, 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 it's part of our ethos, our approach to try and, and make things better, to always be thinking about what we do for the girls, but that's a massive investment in hope. It's a massive investment in hope, and that's a great thing, it's a great thing. So I think education will always be focused around hope, because we don't know what the future is going to be, but we can prepare the best way we can.
0: Actually, that's an interesting segue. We don't know what the future will be. Um, many of us will have been reading uh, Yuval Noah Harari's book uh, over the last year or so. Everyone seemed to be reading it, Lessons for the 21st Century, mm. and, and certainly that was one of um, his, I think, finest points, is that there's a certain arrogance to presume that we actually know what the future will mm. be like, and people or elders... In any generation has a, have a tendency uh, to yeah. be a little gloomy sometimes yeah. but also very certain of their yeah. predictions yeah. And, and in fact we don't know the future and um, hope is uh, certainly um, a very important response when educating young people. Yeah, but absolutely. tell me a little bit, over the last year we know of course that you've been working on a book yep. about Educating yep. for Hope yep. due to be published later mm-hmm. uh, this year. My question is what sparked your desire to be part of this particular book at this particular time, and uh, do you think that in modern times we have a responsibility that is greater than ever to be voices of hope?
1: Well, there's a long answer to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I, ha- I, you have time. Oh uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> a, f- a few years ago, uh, uh, AEL Journal came across my um, desk, um, Australian Educational Leader, and in it was a book by Professor Frank. Sorry, an article by Professor Frank Crowther. Now I've known of Frank for years but I hadn't met him. And it was on pedagogical gifts. Now, another favourite word of mine is gifts, because I think we all have mm. gifts that mm. we can bring to the classroom and so on and so forth. I thought, well, isn't that good? Because the rest of the book was all about standardised test. Oh, the journal was all about standardised mm. testing mm. and NAPLAN. Here was this little gem in the middle. So I looked him up online and I sent him a, a uh, text and all of a sudden I asked him, would you like to come and talk to the staff? And in about five, five minutes, he said, absolutely. So he came in and we had a chat and Frank's He'd been retired for some time and he's taught himself tennis in uh, retirement and he plays competitive (laughs) tennis and the whole thing. And he came in and we started to talk about um, his concept of gifts and I started to talk about the concept of school and he said he'd met Mrs Hancock, who was here for many years, um, and he would like to come and talk to the staff. So he came to talk to the staff about gifts and the staff responded really, really, really well. Anyway, out of the blue, he, he... Phoned me and he said, "Look, um, Bruce, I'm going to write a book. I'm not quite certain what it's about yet, but would you like to be involved in the writing of it?" And I said, "Well, I've never done this before, Frank, but absolutely." So we teed up with Frank, another colleague, Karen Fox, who's from St. Ursula's in Toowoomba. Now that's a very little school, but St Ursula's had a reputation for years for being a little dynamo as far as innovative approaches to teaching learning is concerned. So we met, and we started to interrogate uh, all of this external testing business and all of the difficulty with, with, with data. Mm-hmm. And Frank had a big view of the educational landscape because he deals with a lot of people from the state sector and the Catholic sector and, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And what we started to see was you know, there was a lot of stressors there for people trying to keep up with all of this data. So we started to look at, okay, how can we sort of align the pedagogical gifts concept with the standards concept or the data concept? And we started to think about, okay, we we can't get away from the standards, we can't get away from the data, but what we need to do is to interrogate the power of teaching and, and learning and the power of individual teachers' gifts. And what we've tried to do in this book is get a balance and try and balance the hope, the gifts... The beautiful craft of teaching with what's happening at the same time the importance of data the importance of 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 testing and these sorts of things so what we did with with your help uh, we used an orchestral metaphor and because we had the relationship with the qso we had a wonderful entree into the world of alondra della para and alondra gave us time and she actually, because her mother's involved in teaching and learning and so on and so forth, she was so interested in this concept of hope, teaching with hope. And she actually helped us understand how the orchestra actually works much the same way as a classroom. She gave us heaps of time. So what we've done in this book, is we've been able to merge a couple of things together. We've used the orchestral approach with amazing insight from, from her. Um, we've talked about hope, but we've also merged in the mechanistic as well to say that this is the 21st century concept of schooling, but you don't have to despair. It doesn't all have to be about metrics. It can still be about heart. I enjoy writing, and I hopefully I write reasonably well, and you always you improve. You certainly do, but, Dr Bruce. But But working with Frank you've never seen anything like it. It was a masterclass in writing. <laughs> like the man wouldn't write anything down and go away and bring it back. And here was this, a word wasn't wasted. It mm-hmm. was just chiselled. And as the world of the beautifully impactful short sentence. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just goes to show lifelong learning. Uh, you don't stop learning. It's just fantastic. And we see someone of his experience, and dare I say age, really still being an intellectual powerhouse. I so thinking we need to get these people back in schools Mm. uh, to talk about these sorts of things and that was the particular if you use the word joy that i had being involved in that
0: Absolutely exquisite um, example of uh, bringing together such a youthful and um, charismatic uh, leader such as Alondra with the deep experience of someone like Frank Crowther. So thank you for knitting it all together so beautifully because now I'd like to perhaps end on something practical uh, for our listeners, whether they're parents or other teachers. Um, The question I guess I'd like to conclude our conversation with is, How do we as adults, whatever our role, whether it's a teacher in a classroom or perhaps an aunt or an uncle of a young person, how do we role model optimism in our interactions with children and young people, but also with each other and in our communities?
1: Uh, Get our heads up above the screen, Um, strap our thumbs so we can't use them on screens, Um, talk, laugh, share stories, Sorrowful stuff is good. Happy stuff is good. The human experience is good. And just to share the kaleidoscope of everything that we have as human beings, that we, that we share the planet with so many other creatures, we've got to look up, we've got to care. And I think the most important message is to look up and engage and to look into people's eyes and to trust and to learn and to interrogate and to wonder. And if we do that, we are going to have a better society. We're going to have a better future. We're going to have a better political discourse. And we're just going to have a more optimistic future.
0: Thank you, Dr. Bruce Addison. You are sending us all off into our day with a spring in our step. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your conversation. But most importantly, thank you for
1: your thoughtfulness. Thank you very much.
0: You have been listening to Illumin, a podcast by Brisbane Girls Grammar School. Music was written and performed by Year 12 student Lily Lau Coons. To learn more about our school, visit our website at www.bggs.qld.edu.au.